G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Boys and men being under siege, there are concerns that are rising that boys growing up in Australia are finding themselves under what has been described as abusive suspicion. Developments this year appear to be causing boys to experience heavy guilt trips on their passage to manhood. Well, this year, attention to issues of sexual assault that have come to light, including in children and teenagers of school age, seem to mean it's now the job of teenage boys to prove they are innocent even when they've done nothing wrong. All boys tarred with the same sexist brush. Well, commentators are saying the movement to empower young women may in fact be having a disastrous effect on young men. Well, we're talking again today about the perilous passage of boys on their journey to manhood. Jason Potter has written a book called Josiah about a boy who was bullied to the point of having his childhood reshaped into one of fear, of loneliness and withdrawal. Jason Potter has spent the last 30 years in Christian ministry and theological education. He's a psychotherapist and the chaplain pastor at Trinity Christian School in Canberra. He's written 34 non-fiction study books, helping churches design leadership development training programs. He's also served in a former national leadership role with Samaritan's Purse before being appointed senior pastor at City West Church in Sydney. Well, Jason is joining us. We will talk a little about his new book too called Josiah, but Jason Potter, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's great to be with you. Jason, I remember our former conversation and uh, and I said, oh, we'll have to get you back again on another day. And here we are for that another day. Uh, let's talk about boys, the changing world of boys. What's your reflection in general, the way things are changing so dramatically? Look, I think um, boys are facing uh, very significant challenges, some, some of which we've faced for a long period of time and, and some of which are are new. Um, Educationally, we know, for example, that uh, boys are not doing well in our current education system. We're seeing uh, more boys exit education uh, at a younger age with with lower uh, outcomes, particularly in the area of reading and writing, than we do for girls. We're also seeing um, very significant behaviour challenges, particularly in uh, our big cities. Uh, with boys who are not being engaged uh, effectively and given uh, opportunities and options for uh, um, both employment and advancement, but also also for uh, positive activity and and opportunity. Um, And we're not seeing the same level of role models. And I think part of our discussion last time was around the whole era of fatherhood. And I think that's also one of the challenges that we have in Australia is um, and, and we're seeing it across the Western world, really, um, but particularly here where 
um, those older role models that um, you know you and I might have had when we were growing up or uh, others had growing up are, are um, becoming much fewer and further between these days uh, for boys. And so looking up and having someone to aspire to be like is actually a really important uh, thing that, that uh, boys are really drawn to uh, that kind of learning and growing and, and we're really struggling in that space. Now this is not new, in fact these sorts of side effects uh, that you're talking about are probably coming as a result of changes that have been coming over decades but it's not just changes with regard to say the rise of uh, a women's movement or, or feminism that's actually causing all of these things so that may be connected but but all of the other things the media changes the way education is changing no doubt all of these sorts of things are contributing would you say yeah, look, I think the messaging that we see in the media around what it means to be male is um, is often very negative. Um, I don't know if people remember the Gillette uh, controversy a little while ago with the, the razor blade advertisement that was, you know, basically um, uh, telling men how to behave. Uh, you know, the, there's this kind of negative messaging all the time that, that's saying, well... Um, the basis of being male is negative. And it's negative because, you know, men tend to be more aggressive, they tend to be more violent, they tend to be more, uh, drink more alcohol, they tend to have these characteristics that our society says are negative, particularly in relation to how they impact on the more vulnerable people in our society. And so, therefore, the way for us to prevent that is to teach men to avoid their baser instincts. In other words, you know, men are inherently have this inherent difficult problem. And so what we have to do is start with boys and teach boys the right way. And then that will eliminate these problems that we have with men as adults. And I think there's some very serious fundamental flaws with this idea. The first one is we know that the research around all of this tells us that the primary cause for domestic violence, for example, is alcohol and drug addiction. And so those, those if, you, if you go and read the research, the, the whole idea that um, a lack of respect for women drives domestic violence is just not backed up in the research. We know, the research tells us, that um, issues around uh, violence come from alcohol and drug abuse as the primary cause. And so the messaging that we get around this whole issue is actually causing boys to grow up with the idea that there's something inherently wrong with them that needs to be fixed before they can be a functional, healthy member of society. And that is a terrible message for our young people to be receiving. It is a terrible message. And in some sense here, we've become a little used to the idea that there's a tarring with the same brush for everyone, say, who's a middle-aged white male uh, but this is interesting because sometimes men feel like well we can deal with that I mean you know let's have some criticism there might be a fair criticism yep, in some sure. sense but but here we go uh, teenage boys drawn into the same image tarred with the same brush so we've got little boys right from childhood up into their teenage years they're also tarnished with what you're saying is negative imaging here that they don't deserve 
Yeah, look, we had an incident recently in a Victorian school where a youth worker came in and told all of the white boys in the class to stand up and apologise for their white privilege. Um, you know, these kind of messages are, are actually very destructive to the mental health of, of young men. It's one of the reasons why Australia has one of the highest suicide rates in the world for young men. Um, one of the reasons is because we're not just saying uh, to men, hey, there are, some, there are some things here that you need to be aware of that are dangerous, you know. Um, we're actually saying there's something inherent in maleness and it gets labelled as toxic masculinity and people want to argue about what that phrase means. And, and so, you know, without using that phrase, um, the, the, the messaging is to young men, and I've got two teenage boys and they both talk about this, um, is that there's something inherently wrong with uh, boys and men that needs to be fixed in order for society to be safe. And this message is, it, it, it's destructive, it's dehumanising, and it doesn't actually reflect the gospel. You know, if we go back to Genesis, the very basis of being a person is that you're created in the image of God and everybody therefore has equal value in the eyes of God, no matter who you are, you know, Galatians is the classic example. You know, Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, none of that matters in the eyes of God. Every person, no matter what, has equal value in God's eyes. And so our society is teaching boys, no, 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 we're not going to start from that premise anymore. We're actually going to start from the premise of saying there's something inherently wrong with you that needs to be fixed in order for you to be a functional member of society. And it's an incredibly destructive message. Now, let me just dive into what may be very controversial. And I'll get your initial thought, and we might be able to develop some thoughts as we go here. But when we're talking toxic masculinity, and here we are having this conversation in the context of a a Christian broadcaster on a topic like this, and uh, an awareness that sometimes people are pointing the finger at the biblical foundation for manhood and saying that's where some toxic masculinity is coming from and there are critics like that. I wonder how you deal with that sort of dimension, Jason. Is there something here that we can draw on or, uh, you know, do we take something on the chin and say, yes, there's some relevance to that, but uh, at the same time we've got to say, well, how do we defend it? Uh, What are your thoughts here? Well, I think there's a critical misunderstanding of the Scripture that um, most people who criticise the church from a theological perspective from the outside of it, first of all, aren't coming from a Christian foundation. So they're not necessarily looking at the scriptures from the point of of understanding. They're looking at it and judging it with a completely different worldview to a worldview that understands what it means to exegete and dig into the text and, and understand the context and the authorship of which it was written. So I think there's a there's a big proportion of that critique that we can look at and say, well, there's a group of people here that actually don't understand the foundations of Scripture. They're looking from the outside in and saying, well, the church has definitely made mistakes in this area, and we have had marriages and pastors um, where men have used the biblical picture of marriage um, and basically reinterpreted 
discredited it in order to control somebody. And look, that happens in all parts of life. Um, people who are manipulators and controllers will use whatever they have at their disposable, disposal to manipulate and control others, whether that's a belief system, whether it's a job or a position of authority or power, or whether it's the legal system or the family court system. If someone wants to manipulate someone else, they'll use whatever tools they have at their disposal to do that. And so there are men and there are leaders in the church who have done this badly, and we need to acknowledge that. But it's based on a, a total misunderstanding of the text of Ephesians 5. If we understand Ephesians 5 properly, and we actually go into the Greek um, and look at what the word submit actually means, which is the most controversial part of this whole area, is um, the passage where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. We get all hung up on the word submit because in English, the word submit is about power. And so we think that means power and control. But in Greek, the word was not about power and control at all. The most effective English translation would be voluntary cooperation. And so if we understand the text properly and we learn this properly, then we don't fall into the trap of having that scripture misused. But also we can explain it much more effectively build healthier marriages and relationships as a result. And that's where, you know, it's very easy to critique the Bible from a distance and throw rocks at it. But if we actually dig into the text properly, it's, it's a completely transformative message for Jesus' time and Paul's time where women had no power at all. The idea that a woman's role was to voluntarily cooperate. In other words, she had the power about whether to cooperate or not was actually revolutionary for, for Paul and Jesus' time. I imagine here too, and this would be an argument for understanding the huge value of having the Bible and a view of it that it is God's revealed word, because while it may have been mishandled by some in this way, uh, we always have the opportunity for reform when we have a high view yes. of God's word. Life. Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Jason Potter is our guest. He's a psychotherapist and a chaplain pastor. We're talking about boys on the perilous journey to becoming young men. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to chime in with your own thoughts on our conversation today. You can also uh, register your own response to our Facebook question today, which says, what Christian wisdom would you offer boys on their perilous journey to re responsible manhood? You can find that 2020 Facebook question at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Uh, Jason, there is a perception that boys need radical change. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Because certainly boys are coming from all sorts of different, um, you know, they're, they're growing in all sorts of different soil, to use that sort of analogy. But what are your thoughts yeah. here about uh, the, this idea of radical change needed? Well, I, I think one of the things that we... Um uh, we forget in, in raising boys is that like, like girls, like anyone really, um, most, most boys inherently have things that they're interested in, that they're drawn towards. But part of what we're doing in our culture is we're pacifying boys. 
So we pacify them with electronic games, we pacify them with digital products, we pacify them in uh, their conversations, we pacify them at school. We try to lower their level of energy and and, uh, we we try to um, kind of just keep boys under a lid. Um, and, And I think, you know, when we talk about radical change, really our society has already perpetrated radical change on boys by creating, instead of the adventurous childhood, um, and, you know, I'm going to sound a bit old here. I'm only 48, so I hope not too much. But <laughs> when I was growing up, uh, to coin a phrase, um, we, you know, my parents, if, if, I compl- if I walked around the house complaining of being bored, they sent me outside with my bicycle for two hours and told me to come back at, at dinner time. You know, like there was a, a sense in which my job as a boy was to actually learn about the world and explore the world for myself and discover it um, rather than have it all fed to me on a platter or have my mind and my ideas kind of shaped by, you know, the the whole entertainment media system that comes through every screen that you want to have these days where my job is to sit and consume rather than to get out and participate. And I think when when boys have been turned into consumers rather than participators, then that change has already been foisted upon them. And they're no longer able to think freely, to explore the world for themselves, to discover things, to be curious, to ride their bike around in the streets for an hour, and, you know, to, to kind of be out of sight of mum and dad just a little bit so that that independence and bravery and all those things can actually be encouraged. And let's be honest, the same thing is happening to girls. You know, the fastest growing percentage of, of young people who are involved in um, uh, these kind of passive activities are actually girls. Boys are already there, but girls are catching up fast. And our society is kind of developing people who are being taught to do nothing but consume but not actually to participate, to innovate, to think for themselves. And it's all being driven towards kind of trying to pacify um, young people. And, and I, I think it's, it's very, very dangerous for our culture, not just for boys, but also for girls. But I think boys in particular um, uh, find that, that whilst... You know, blowing up something on a computer screen with your mates is a heck of a lot of fun. It actually doesn't get you anywhere in in life unless you're going to become an e-gamer and earn millions of dollars that way. But essentially, it's it's a receptive activity rather than an active one. So boys are being fed a line and told how to think. But you're saying here yeah. girls are being fed a line and told how to think too. So there's a certain Absolutely. sense in which so you've got boys and girls unable to discover uh, in and in some sense here the rough and tumble of how relationships develop. And so and there is some rough and tumble and uh, the trouble with that is that some get hurt. Uh, so any thoughts yeah. here about, you know, if you were taking the – You've taken some of the clamps off and uh, letting the rough and tumble happen. You might be in for you know some getting hurt though, mightn't you? Yes, but that's how we build resilience. See, one of the one of the big, huge, enormous mistakes that our culture has made over the last twenty years is to assume that the way to help people cope with anxiety and depression, and this is coming from a 
psychological perspective. The way to help people cope with anxiety and depression is to minimise the risk of them experiencing it. And so what we do then is we put cotton wool around everybody and we say, okay, let's not um, you know, have a score when we play sport against each other because then our children who lose or get beaten 15-0 are going to experience disappointment and devastation and that will be bad for them and that will create anxiety and depression. And then we put more kind of things around our kids and, and so, you know, we go to a birthday party and everyone comes home with a present and, you know, there's, there's this system in place now and it's systemic across our society that says the way to, 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 to raise a child is to protect them from disappointment, to protect them from getting hurt and to remove the opportunity of pain and challenge and suffering and by doing that, they're going to cope with adult life better. It's actually an absolute total lie. What happens to children who grow up in that kind of environment is when they get exposed to adulthood, they don't know how to cope because they've not built resilience, they've not experienced pain, they've not experienced the difficult challenges of life, and they get to adulthood and they, they descend into depression and anxiety as a result because they don't have any tools to deal with that. And that all comes back to that one biblical principle that Jesus says, you know, pick up your cross, follow me. Being, being a human being on this planet means experiencing suffering. Learning how to cope with it as a child empowers us as adults. And so that's, that's a, it's one of the big lies that our society has told parents. And, and honestly, we're going to see more and more and more anxiety and depression in our adults until we learn and we realise that by putting a person in cotton wool and not allowing them to experience difficulty and pain, we're actually preventing them from learning how to cope with it. And, um, you know, that resilience that we build into children and young people through difficult circumstances is valuable for their entire lives. Jason, let's just quickly touch on your book here for a moment and I do want to take some calls from listeners, 1-800-316-316. Your story of Josiah is about building resilience and recovering out of bullying. It's got a lot to say about the sort of things we're talking about today. Yeah, look, I, I think um, one of the things that I've uh, um, done with this story, and, and look, it's based on some of my own experiences and experiences of others that I've come across in life is um, both shared uh, what Josiah's journey is, which is a very difficult childhood and very difficult kind of early teenage and mid-teenage phase of, of life. But, but the conclusion of the book is actually really about the people who invest their time and energy in helping uh, a young boy learn about his real values. And, and helping uh, Josiah become the kind of person who really understands uh, his value in a way that he was never given the opportunity to uh, as, a, as a person growing up. And I think this is a place where, you know, the hope part comes in for all of us because there are some very simple, straightforward things that we can do to encourage boys in their, in, as they grow up to help them understand their true value and actually to invest that hope and encouragement back into them as they head towards adulthood. And so I think 
the story in, in Josara is certainly both um, an encouragement to anybody who's been through bullying and who's had a difficult childhood about what is possible and, and about understanding who you really are rather than the person you've been defined as by the bully. But also there's a, a, an encouragement there for those who are investing and working with young men to say, yes, actually there is something that we can do with the individuals that we come across. We don't just have to accept the way the world is. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Carol is in New South Wales. Hi, Carol. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Neil and Jason. Great work on your book that you're doing. I um, have quite a lot to do with uh, young men, uh, quite a lot to do with the young Muslim men in the area where I live in. And um, I've worked with them, the boys in the street and so on, uh, for more than 20-odd years and um, taught children from my front patio uh, that never gone to church and so on and, and helped them. But I find that the Word of God is so powerful that if any child from whatever background can get into reading, especially the boys and the girls, the Old Testament, which give you a picture of what people do how they go wrong and how to fix it and how not to go, e.g. King Saul or whatever. And whether you've had a bullying situation like one of, I think it was one of the young guys in the Old Testament, his mother was a prostitute and his father and when he was growing up, the young boys kicked him out. Their brothers said, you're not going to uh, share the inheritance with us. And so he got bag of and bought men around him. But God empowered him with great ability to fight. And then Israel wanted him back as captain. And he said, no, not unless you reinstate me. So God will help any child, no matter what their background is, if they choose to follow God, and God created every every one of us and formed us in our mother's womb and gave us ability, he willed every child to be born. And no matter how difficult it is in childhood, if we keep to the word of God and go through this like David, you know, he, he, he was despised in his family house. He was just a young kid looking after the sheep and so on. But God had chosen him to be king. So I think, as David said in Psalm 119, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, but by taking heed, therefore, according to the word of God. And the word of God will build men of excellence and women of excellence. Carol, good thought there. Let's get a, a response from Jason. Jason, your thoughts for Carol? Uh, hi, Carol. I, I think what you're saying is, is uh, very much the case. Um, one of the interesting things about the Old Testament in particular is that it seems time and time and time again that, that God uses men and women, because uh, we have obviously the example of Esther and a number of others, um, who are in uh, very kind of vulnerable or um, positions of great suffering or disadvantage to make all of the difference in the world. You mentioned David, who is a shepherd boy. Uh, Saul himself was uh, a quiet introvert who was not the person that would normally be chosen uh, to be king. Uh, Samuel was an orphan. Um, time and time and time again through the scriptures, we have the story of 
young people of disadvantage being raised up into positions of leadership and authority to change the pathway of an entire nation. And, uh, you know, it, it's, there's some great reading there. I know for myself as a kid, I used to read First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, mostly because it was the bits with all the war in it, but also because they're fantastic stories and they're uh, historical stories. So we know that, you know, throughout history, we can look back and see the way that uh, vulnerable young people have been used by God to make a difference in the world. And we know that he's going to continue to do that because that's his pattern of behaviour. Carol, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might want to join in our conversation. Just before we take another call, there was something that Carol raised there just to bring to light. I mean, Carol says uh, there's lots of Muslims in her neighbourhood and uh, Mm -hmm. teaching on manhood uh, may look a little different uh, under the Muslim worldview to our biblical worldview, but some people will want to say it's all religious, isn't it? Uh, But there's some differences there that may even be contributing to the way people think about manhood and uh, tarring Christians with a similar brush. Any thoughts here around that? Well, uh, you know, theologically, obviously, Christianity and and, uh, Islam are are very, very different uh, faiths. Christianity comes from a basis of grace and and forgiveness. We don't earn God's favour. Um, we receive a free gift of forgiveness from God and, and therefore are able to be in relationship with God because he came to earth in the form of uh, Jesus and uh, took the punishment for all of the sin of humanity upon himself. So so whereas with Islam, uh, the role of a person in Islam is to actually earn Allah or God's favour. And so as as a Muslim growing up, um, the rules and, and behaviour pieces around all of that are, are set very much by, and there's a number of different sects of Islam um, that have different perspectives and different understandings of how all of this works and raise their kids in different ways, but uh, from Sunni Muslims to Shiite Muslims and so on. Um, but, you know, the foundation of the two faiths are polar opposite in many respects. Um, and so... You know, how we raise men from a Christian perspective is going to be very, very different to how men are raised from an Islamic perspective. And that that does provide some challenges. And um, it, it does mean that, uh, um, you know, we will encounter in our culture some very different approaches to how boys are raised because Australia is now very much a multicultural society. Having said all of that... Um, I'm a firm believer that the basic foundation of Christianity, which is that every person is of equal value and equally loved by God, no matter what they do, no matter their behaviour or life experiences, challenges or difficulties, um, that one foundational principle is actually very, very much at the bottom of how we can encourage uh, boys and young people as they grow up. Because if we can help people to understand that truth, that equality isn't based on skill or ability or gender or any of the other things that society wants to talk about. It's not based on identity or the choices we make about ourselves or who we're attracted to or who we think we are. That actually equality is based on the very idea that we're all created by God and equally loved by him. 
that changes significantly how we approach everything in life, but particularly in raising boys. Okay, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. You can also respond to our Facebook question at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. The question we're asking today is, what Christian wisdom would you offer boys on their perilous journey to responsible manhood? And there's been some thoughts that, you know, look at some of those Old Testament characters. But uh, Sue says... Look to Jesus, not the people of the world, for an example of how to live. Is it worthwhile saying in there too, and I'll get your thoughts for what Sue might say, look to Jesus, but uh, there is a certain sense here in which he is the focal point from the Bible, not just stories of the Old Testament or even New Testament leader characters, but Jesus himself being the centre of all of that. Your thoughts, uh, Jason? Well, I think that's true for for every person. Uh, It's true for men and women, boys and girls. Um, Jesus is a central example for us. But um, uh, as we look to be like Jesus, we also know that we we actually as human beings can't achieve that. Jesus was perfect. Jesus made no mistakes. He committed no sin. Um, He had a perfect relationship with God. And so... You know, it's important for us as as Christian people to aspire to be like that, whilst recognising at the same time that in this life, it's not possible for us to achieve it. So one of the things I like about having role models from the Bible or role models in life, whether it be a parent or a pastor or someone uh, significant in our lives, is that those people who are just like us um, are actually more able uh, to be followed um, and in fact Paul said this in the Bible himself he said follow me as I follow Christ so part of the nature of how God has actually created us is to be in relationship and look to each other for examples of how to live and so yes Jesus is central um, but we are community we are God's people together um, and so I think that's also a critically important part of it fabulous stuff one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take another call. Sue is in Underwood in Queensland. Hello, Sue. Welcome. Hello. How are you? Very well, Sue. What are your thoughts? Oh, I've got a few things that I wouldn't mind asking about. Um, I'm just wondering in respect to. Okay, so you've had um, a young man that's been brought up in a Christian home, a uh, young boy, I should say. That um, I'm just wondering how that works when uh, when they go out into society and there's a lot of um, pressure in society with um, gender, with um, how they perceive uh, perceive themselves and that sort of thing, where they actually start to lose their identity a bit um, and they um, have a tendency to actually buy into the lies that uh, what you were talking about before earlier on in the show uh, with um, the different things that are being said and people are getting up and apologising in class for being white or being male or, or what have you, um, when they actually find that their whole identity has been... Um, I don't know what I'm actually trying to say. I just, um, I, I, I just find that you, if you if you have someone that is a young male that has actually bought into that lie, and that they um, perceive themselves um, uh, instead of the way that God sees, and they start to think that yes, there is something wrong with me, and I, I'm still struggling with my own identity. How do you minister to somebody like that when 
Um, Sue, I think you're making a pretty powerful point here because, uh, yes, we can raise our children in a bubble, a Christian bubble, but, yes, the exposure to then the broader culture and that creates all sorts of risks. But I suspect, uh, Jason, you've got some thoughts here for Sue. Yeah, Sue, it sounds to me a little bit like the parental struggle. I think there are two, well, there is a number of elements to this. One, One of them is that, um, we need to understand that as parents, we're actually in a war for our kids. This is a battle that society is fighting to to train every child that grows up in our country in a certain way, to think a certain way, to look at the world a certain way. It's actually a war. The media um, bombards our children with literally thousands of images every day. The research tells us that a child by the age of five is exposed to over a 1,000 advertising images on a daily basis. So this is what we need to understand, is that there is no such thing as a Christian bubble. We can try and protect our kids as much as we might like to only show them Christian shows, send them to Christian schools, send them to church, keep them out of non-Christian things. All that really does, in, in, in my view, and with all due respect to all the parents out there who make all kinds of choices, I'm not trying to critique you or what, what you've chosen. But from my personal perspective, one of the challenges for us is that we often teach our children what to think rather than how to think. And I think where we see real strength and resilience in people's faith is not when they have a whole great set of pre-prescribed answers for the questions that they're going to face, but when they've actually wrestled with those things themselves and come to their own conclusion, journeyed with parents and journeyed in church and journeyed with a pastor or a leader or someone that they can admire and listen to and be encouraged by, but when it's actually become part of who they are rather than a kind of being the only understanding of the world that they've ever encountered. And I think this is where the battle is fought and lost. When when we... Um, when we raise our boys, and I was a youth pastor for 15 years, I've been right in the centre of this for most of my adult life, and I have two teenage sons of my own. When, when we get into raising our boys, we need to understand that every child that's being raised now, whether it's in a Christian family or not, every one of those children is going into a war for their heart, soul, and mind. And, and that's a battle that needs to be fought both by parents, by teachers, by schools, by churches, by pastors, and by the children themselves. Because the, the view of our culture of the human being, the, the human kind of condition, is all pervasive. Okay, It permeates every part of our society. And so we can't create a Christian bubble anymore if we ever could. Because it doesn't matter what we do, it doesn't matter how tight that bubble's going to be, those messages will get through unless we go and live out in the country in a, um, and, and kind of cut off the internet and, and all kind of, kind of human communication and hang out there by ourselves. Unless we do that, everything in our society is wired towards pushing young people to think and behave and believe a certain way about the human condition. And so our task as parents is to enter the battle, to not stay away from it and to to actually enter the battle in such a way that we're not just saying to our kids, this is what you need to believe, but we're actually saying to our kids, 
This is what I believe to be true, and I want to talk to you and share with you about that, and I want to wrestle through it together. Let's have lots of open, transparent, honest conversations so that when when my child and, and my kids do this, when they have a question about their faith or they have a question about what they believe about certain things, whether it's gender or sexual attraction or any of the other things that our society is wanting to foist upon our children, then we're in a position where the open, honest, transparent conversation needs to be, thanks for that question. Let's have a talk about this. Um, young people want to talk about these things. Um, and if, if as a parent you're not sure quite how to handle that conversation, find a youth leader or a pastor who's able to help you with it. Because it's a battle, it's a war, it is not something that we can ever take lightly. And I think that's, Sue, really what you're trying to say, but I hope that's a little bit helpful. Sue, thank you so much. It actually was a very valuable input today. Sue from Underwood, thanks so much for your contribution. I'm going to put a a line under the calls. Uh, Thanks so much to everybody who has been trying to call in, but we won't take any more calls. Just to touch on uh, something important here, and uh, on the back of what Sue was saying, There is a certain sense, there's no such thing as you say as a Christian bubble. But I'll get your thoughts here. From my understanding, while our children are young, and I'm talking about up to their prepubescent years, oftentimes we need to give a concrete understanding about what we believe. But once they hit that sort of 10, 11, 12, 13, that's where we start to introduce our children to it's a big wide world out there and there's awful an awful lot of things that uh, you're going to come across that you know mum and I don't agree with. There's a certain sense, is there a particular time you think, Jason, when you sort of start to introduce your children into the rough and tumble and, hey, uh, uh, we've been telling you this for years but now you're on your own in some sense. Uh, come and use us as a sounding board when you come across some difficulties. Yeah, look, I, I, think, I think that's true. One of the things that we're discovering in education is that the rough and tumble years that we thought started with teenagers now start much earlier. You know, so so schools are doing um, uh, teaching around gender and sexual attraction and sexual behaviour in primary school now. So we've got grade four, grade five and grade six kids being exposed to um, an understanding of the world, particularly in our public system, that as Christian people, we would want to be advocating our kids to think differently about, to take a more biblical perspective. That means the battle's actually starting way earlier than it used to. And so one of the challenges for us is that you're absolutely right. Young people, particularly up to the age of um, 11, 12 and 13, think in very black and white terms. They need very concrete answers to the questions that they ask because that kind of certainty is how their brain works and develops. The challenge for us is, as society introduces these lessons earlier and earlier and earlier, and in very black and white ways, like one of the the fallacies about um, how these messages come across is that they, they are actually very black and white in how they're being communicated. There's no room for grey. Um, in in the way our culture is teaching us about, say, sexuality and gender, for example. Um, so for us as parents, what we need to be doing is preparing our children, even in that black and white phase, by teaching them that any question they want to ask us is acceptable. 
there is no question that is off limits. In other words, we need to give our, our ch even children from a very young age the freedom to be open and transparent about what they think and what they feel and the way they're experiencing the world from as young an age as we possibly can so that when they get to their teenage years and when they're in those kind of upper high, uh, primary school years and they're confronting all of this, that they know that their parents, their youth leader, someone around them is a safe place for them to go to and talk about these things and ask those deeper questions and not just get shut down with a good, solid Christian answer, but actually be listened to and heard so that um, it's, a, it's a conversation and a relationship building piece rather than a, here's your answer, go away and take it on board no matter what, and that's the only answer I'm ever going to give you. Powerful um, thought. It's important for it to be a conversation. And the pressure there on parents as the primary role model in how you do all of that, uh, there's lots more we could talk about uh, in the idea of, you know, what happens if you just ignore this and just let your kids uh, accept the narrative that they're being told. Uh, there's some challenges there around boys and perhaps uh, yeah. a very quick response because we have run out of time, Jason, but the idea that if your boys feel persecuted and powerless... Uh, they're likely to not have that capacity and that empowerment to be able to address abuses on all sorts of levels uh, that they might see as they encounter those things in their growing years. Uh, just a quick thought around that, because if you don't take some action early, you're going to cause your kids to not have the ability to be able to speak up when it's needed. That's absolutely right. And coming in early is really, really important, because what happens later on is, when people aren't listened to and they feel disempowered, they respond with anger. And so what happens is we get a whole bunch of young men who aren't being listened to, who aren't being um, shared with and talked with and treated with respect. And so when you treat someone with disrespect, you create an angry response. And that's part of the challenge. It happens with boys and girls, but part of the reason for going as early as we can is we build a healthy relationship into that space and we avoid the frustration that leads to anger later on in teenage life, which is what drives the rebelliousness that teenage boys are generally well known for. Well, Jason Potter has been our guest over this past hour, and uh, there might be some listeners who will want to listen again to this on a podcast. It'll be on a podcast through the afternoon at the 2020 uh, page or wherever you get good podcast material from. But Jason's new book is called Josiah. Uh, we already had a conversation a little earlier this year. It's been launched. Uh, how are things going, Jason? Yeah, look, it's it's going well, and, and uh, it's available in paperback and on Kindle from Amazon and from our website. And uh, look, um, you know, we're hoping to get it into Kurong and a few bookshops as we go. But but really, it's it's designed to be a resource, particularly for young boys and teenagers as they grow through this phase in story form. So if you've got a teenage boy or you've got someone you know of who you think would benefit from this kind of story of encouragement and uh, and uh, empowerment then it may be very much the kind of story that's going to help your your uh, young man grow. The book is called Josiah. It's available, as uh, Jason says, on Amazon. You can get a Kindle version, now available. And uh, jasonpotter.com.au is Jason's website where you can connect with Jason Potter. Jason Potter. 
www.ncbank.com.au. Jason, it's been great getting your insights once again. I want to thank you for delivering some really good wisdom around these sorts of things that are difficult to deal with, difficult to think through, but uh, been tremendously helpful today. Thanks so much for joining us on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate uh, the opportunity and God bless. Have a great day. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.